knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner. Going, He's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp and my co-host is Angela Whitehorn and this is our first official episode of 2019. In fact, it kind of feels a little funny to me to even <laughs> say 2019. I don't know that I've even written it yet. Yeah. Uh, I had to write a check yesterday, and it was very weird. I know. I was just getting used to writing 2018, to be honest. So. <laughs> right. Came too, came too quickly. So Imagine so, next year when it's going to be not just one number change, but two. We'll switch to 20. I'm, yeah, I know. 2020. Like, that's just crazy. <laughs> crazy, crazy. So something came up this week regarding Lordship Salvation, and I thought it would be helpful to offer some clarification. We have talked about how we don't believe in Lordship Salvation, but the reason we don't is because it is a dispensational doctrine. Both sides are were founded upon a dispensational framework. I even have a quote from MacArthur somewhere recognizing that. But there is a group of people that are on the Zane Hodges, Ryrie side that are opposed to Lordship Salvation. And I guess there was something on Twitter, one of my friends told me that someone said, oh, theology gals doesn't believe in Lordship Salvation. But it was portrayed more like they don't believe in it because they're on the Zane Hodges, Ryrie side. Mm. And so there's different, I've run into different sorts of people that are opposed to Lordship Salvation. There's also a group that um, they're Calvinistic Baptists, and they pretty much call any form of progressive sanctification Lordship Salvation. It's very bizarre, and it's not honest to be actually. And they're just opposed to any form of, of growing in obedience, which we affirm that because, and the Westminster Catechism says as much, which we affirm. But I, I thought it would be worth just clarifying. When we say we don't believe in it, it's not because we're on the other side. 
Mm, right. It's because we don't really play in that sandbox at all. Um, we would say that there's errors on both sides. So we're not saying um, John MacArthur is in error with Lordship Salvation and Zane Hodges is right. We're saying both sides have errors and we prefer the historic reform doctrine that's expressed in our confession and in our catechisms. And one of the things within Lordship Salvation that that be- that we disagree with is the lack of law gospel distinctions. And I spoke with a dispensationalist friend who said, Oh, I, I disagree with you on law gospel distinctions. And so there, it's just a different approach as far as what we do believe, but we do believe in, in sanctification that we grow mm-hmm. in obedience, that sanctification is a work of God's free grace, which results in us dying to self and living into righteousness and, all of that we uh, we affirm strongly. And in the book, Christ the Lord, the Reformation and Lordship Salvation, which we've mentioned many times, in the preface, which is free online, Michael Horton even says, pretty much implies that they more strongly oppose Zane Hodge's antinomianism than they do MacArthur's position. And so even in that book, there's a lot, you've read that book, so you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of time spent opposing Zane Hodge's position. Right. And just for our listeners who aren't familiar with the two positions, um, what we would say is that, of course, um, justification and sanctification are distinct. They are not one and the same. And so the error on the Lordship side is to collapse those two together. And then the error on the Zane Hodges side is to completely divorce the two so much that justification can be present without any sanctification. And we would say that the two items are distinct. Um, I love what Rod Rosenblatt says in um, a famous address that he gave that um, we we shared on a previous episode of Theology Gals. He says, um, naked justification saves. And that that is really important. But at the very same time, right next to that, we believe that sanctification necessarily flows as a byproduct of justification having happened. So we keep the two things distinct, but we say that both necessarily will happen. And because we are united to Christ and he is working in us. He is sanctifying us. And, you know, often we say it's a necessary, our sanctification is a necessary consequence. It, right. it will happen. Mm-hmm. It, you know, what it looks like it will differ depending on the person and, and whatnot, but sanctification will happen if you are in Christ. That's right. I I think what we've picked for today's topic really is kind of a good first of the year topic. If, um, I don't know, I'm not really somebody who makes New Year's resolutions, but if you think the New Year is a time to set some goals and make some changes and do better, I know one of the things that comes up in our group quite often is hospitality and how can I be more hospitable in my home and, and, you know, have people over and I'm overwhelmed by the idea and we have a whole bunch of things that we're going to address as far as hospitality. But one of the things I wanted to just even before we start, because it won't be just hospitality that we're going to be talking about. As I asked in the group, I realized we need to talk both about hospitality and fellowship because Mm. specifically in scripture, the word for hospitality means the love of strangers. And so 
there might be a difference between having strangers in my home and having people that are part of the body of Christ in my home for fellowship, where it might look similar, but it may be a little bit different. Now, there's people that have that have defined hospitality in different ways, kindness to strangers or guests, entertaining and well and welcoming in guests or visitors, the, things like that. Um, but one thing I've realized is that I think people, when they say hospitality, that the primary thing that they think of is having people over to my house. Mm. So what do you think of when, when we say hospitality? You know, I do think of that, but I think, I also think maybe a little bit more broadly in terms of like meeting others' needs. And I think that that is sort of a part of the flavor that helps me think of it as different than fellowship. Um, You know, it's, it's kind of, it's different maybe than just hanging out with your friends. Um, so hospitality could be, could involve um, inviting over a new neighbor who has just moved in, or it could um, involve meeting their needs somehow, um, going to them and helping them uh, unpack something, but mostly welcoming them in. Um, and, and you, have this sort of in the first definition that you talked about. It's a genuine way to show love for others, but welcoming in guests and visitors. So certainly that takes place primarily in our home, but I can think of some ways that I think I've practiced hospitality that even extended beyond our home. I think even in the church that there's ways that we may practice hospitality. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll get to some of those different things later. So one of, one of the things, and I, I do want to talk about this briefly in here, but it's not the main point of this episode, is when we're talking about fellowship, we talk, we think about in the church those people that we do life with, that we share in our joys and in our sufferings, mm-hmm. that we're there for, that, uh, you know, I think of, I've talked before when, you know, I've gone through things like surgery and the women at church coming and cleaning my house and doing my laundry and putting meals in the fridge for the week. Uh, so I think some of that happens within community. I don't, community mm-hmm. and fellowship are not the same things, but even the word fellowship it, in scripture, it, it talks about our fellowship with Christ and, um, and then our fellowship with one another. So some of what we'll be talking about, I think, will overlap with, right. with hospitality hospitality. So one of the big things, and I think this is important because this has come up so many times I've seen, is where people think hospitality is a spiritual gift. So, Mm. you know, I have the gift of hospitality. I don't have the gift of hospitality or... Mm. I've heard that. Yeah. I think some people are maybe better at it because of practice or personality, but it's actually something we're all called to. Right. And I think um, it's important to remember Um, You know, if we're saying like, I don't have the gift of hospitality, okay, like you've already said, first of all, hospitality is not a spiritual gift. But second of all, I think sometimes what people mean by that is um, I'm not naturally good at putting on dinners. And that's fine. Um, Hospitality is not a synonym with throwing dinner parties. Um, There's so many ways to practice hospitality. And you know, there's also ways where if that's not your strength, um, this is why we do have the body as our family. We have friends who can help us. I've th- I have 
practiced hospitality before with others and said, hey, let's let's put together a dinner together and um, let our strengths and weaknesses work together. So there's a lot of ways to practice hospitality, even if you are not a person who's great at doing lots of entertaining. And we're going to talk about some of the practical things later, because I know when I mentioned in the group that we're going to be doing this episode, a lot of people brought up practical things. That was Mm. kind of the first thing. And I think because they're overwhelmed and they have a picture in their head about what hospitality looks like. And, you know, like you said, it's not a synonym for throwing, you know, an eight course dinner party Mm -hmm. um, with your perfectly decorated house and, and perfectly cooked meals and that there's other ways. Um, but let's look at some things that, that scripture says. In Romans 12, it actually uses that we are to practice hospitality. And um, I found someone that said that it literally means to pursue the love of strangers. Mm-hmm. So it's not just um, hanging out with our best friends. It's easier to have our best friends over. Right. People we know well, but sometimes it's doing things that are not necessarily comfortable and uh, inviting strangers in. You know, the first thing that I notice about this um, section in in Romans that you read is that, um, you know, we just said that hospitality is not a spiritual gift. Okay, well, then what is it? What I see here is that it's something that we're commanded to as Christians. And so that means that we all have ways that we need to be participating in pursuing hospitality. And then talking about not simply hanging out with our best friends. Yes, that is um, so easy to do because it's easy to get a rhythm going um, with your your group and to grow comfortable where it's not as much work, where everyone knows uh, what they're doing and what their role is, and you're just comfortable with the people. And so it's enjoyable. And there's not that fear of new people. There's not the anxiety of what's it going to be like if we don't have anything to talk about. And so it's easy to just fall into hanging out with my friends. But I think that we've all before been to, whether it's a church or school or work situation where I'm new and everyone else already has their group and everyone else already has their friends. And it it feels difficult. How do I break into that? And so when we are on the other side of that and we have our friends, this is a big part of hospitality. And a part, a part of that attitude is considering what does that person feel like and how do, how do I pull them in? How do I draw them in? How do I include them? How do I make them become a part of what we have here? And you know what? You're making me think right now about loving others as we love ourselves in seeing that, you know, if we've ever been in that situation, if we're now in a church where we're comfortable, we have our group, but actually showing that love to other people. And in First Peter 4, 8 through 10, it the, the passage right here starts with, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And I was reading Calvin's commentary And one thing he says is that um, hospitality is one of the duties of love. So being hospitable is a way that we show love to other people. Mm. I love, um, it's just that tiny little phrase, be hospitable to one another without complaint. And, uh, (laughs) you know, sometimes um, it's definitely work. It's effort to make hospitality happen. 
And so it's very easy for me to fall into complaining. Oh, I don't want to do it. Oh, I wish we didn't have this today. But, you know, that true heart of hospitableness is going to do it without complaining. Think about other things in scripture that we're called to, not all of them am I excited about. You know? <laughs> right, I'm called to right. be patient too, and I'm not mm-hmm. always excited about being patient mm-hmm. or kind. Sometimes I don't want to be kind to somebody. I mean, there, so this is just another thing that we are called to, that we grow in sanctification in. That's right. Um, there's a lot of passages that talk about hospitality. We're only going to go over a few, but even uh, Hebrews 13 too, I think this one is, this is a passage that a lot of people know, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And of course that's looking back to the old Testament, but there's actually a lot, a lot of passages about hospitality and it's, and it's a command. It is something that we are told to do. We're told to practice hospitality. We're told to love others. And this is a way that we love love other people, both strangers and non-Christians, and then also those in Christ. Like when Angela was talking about you have your group of friends, this might be you at church. You've got your group at church, and there's a new family that comes along. They're strangers to you, and you show hus- hospitality to them. Mm. Yeah. And I, I'm just thinking right now about um, when my husband and I were new at our church, um, the very second week that we visited, someone invited us to their home for lunch and it was very easy to plug in and make friends here. And that, I, I will say that has not always been the case at churches where we have been members and we have definitely experienced difficulty with that in the past. And so that was very, very refreshing and made me love my church right away um, that people were warm and welcoming and friendly. And, you know, it just made me think, uh, reminds me a little bit of something that you said earlier about remembering how the other person feels, treat others the way that you want to be treated. So if I remember how it felt to be new and um, outside then I treat, did I like to be included? Did I like to be invited? Did I like someone to have lunch ready at their home and ask me, would you like to go eat with us? I loved that. And so um, I enjoyed being treated that way. So now what I can do to be hospitable is get ready to treat someone else that same way. One of the things that we had at a church that we were in was a hospitality rotation. And it was a smaller church, so a little bit more doable. I think it would be probably impossible at a big church. But we had our hospitality rotation is we had lots of families in the church and we rotated. And it was to invite visitors over. Mm -hmm. And some of the ways that we made that more practical is sometimes uh, two families would do it together where one family said, you know, you can come, our house is better for doing that. But another family said, I'll bring, you know, part of the meal. Uh, The other thing we did is try to include singles in that. Mm -hmm. So visitors and anyone at church that's single. And so, but that was a way that we reached out to strangers. Even when people visit a church, you don't know if they're just from down the street and not even Christians yet. Or, you know, right. they're just searching out, you know, what does this church believe? Or maybe they're Reformed Christians that are looking for a new church home. So many people came to me later and said how much that meant to them 
to show up at a church and have people invite them over. And right away, they were connecting with people in the church through that. I love it. I'm, it's very, um, you know, we have these sort of, well, maybe it's just me. I'm sort of a routine person and a rhythm person. Um, I, I remember I was just talking uh, to the Theology Gals group this morning about, boy, I'm ready for, I love the holidays, but I'm ready to get back on our routine. <laughs> and so um, I'm a routine person and a rhythm person. And I'm loving that um, my church has, is sort of starting to work on getting in a rhythm of having one week of um, fellowship meal at church. And then the next week you have um, in your home hospitality towards um, someone else in the church. And then the next week you have, you invite an unbeliever to your home and you can do that just like you said with, uh, with another family and work that out. And then um, maybe the next week you are supposed to have um, maybe a neighbor um, and so there's sort of a, a rhythm that's starting to work out where we are trying to grow in practicing hospitality as a church. And I really enjoy that, working it out together, sort of this is how we do it. That is very helpful to me. Let's talk for a minute about um, practicing hospitality with strangers. I think that it's, at least for me, it's easier for me to invite someone over from church that mm. I know beforehand we have something in common. Even if our lives are completely different, we have Christ, which unites us. Right. And when we're talking about inviting strangers over or people that are not in our church, and so people that I would think of that that would fit, um, a big one would be our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And depending on where you live, and this has been true for me, depending on where I live, whether the neighbors talk to each other even very much, uh, you know, I don't even know all my neighbors where I live right now because some of them are just really keep to themselves. And then one of them mm-hmm. I've known, you know, since the day that we moved in, which was 15 and a half years ago, and they lived here too. They're the only ones, I think, on our street that still live here (laughs) since we moved in. Thinking about my neighbors specifically, my one neighbor that we still know that we met, they're they're Mormons or she is a Mormon. That is the perfect people to invite over. And we've invited them over when we had a barbecue um, or a birthday party for my husband. And here they are hanging out at our house with people from our church and coworkers of my husband's and different things like that. So sometimes it even looks like that. And where I'm not just inviting them over, but we've had other times where it's where we just sit in our front yard and maybe, um, you know, share a dessert or something like that. So hospitality can even look different in that way. But that that's been a great relationship because we've had opportunities to share the gospel with them. And that's one of the reasons that we show hospitality to strangers uh, that maybe are non-Christian strangers is for the purpose of developing a relationship and sharing the gospel with them. Absolutely. And I think that that is um, really key. Um, Some of the things that you mentioned about your neighbors and building that relationship was just really sort of including them into your life. I mean, you talked about inviting your neighbor to a birthday party for your husband. Okay. You were going to have the birthday party. You included them in your life. Um, You had them sit in your front yard with you. I mean, this is just regular life happening. And 
Um, so it doesn't have to be always contrived and creating a whole situation so that I can invite them over and jump them with the gospel three seconds in. You're creating a real relationship with your neighbors there. And so they start as strangers, but you build that relationship and you... Um, I am not saying, and you just rub off on them and they see that you're a Christian and bam, they're a Christian too. You do share the gospel. Um, But just like you said, that is the goal and the reason why we um, start those relationships and build them and gain a hearing with them so that, that we can share the gospel. Some people maybe haven't heard this story before, but I've actually talked about my Mormon neighbors before and my and or neighbor because she's a, she's a Mormon and then her children are and they're almost all grown now and then he isn't but it's gotten to the point and it was pretty early on where she would come over and ask us theological questions and the most fascinating of which was when she came over and said I have a question for you guys and we'd shared the gospel with her and she said if you don't have to do good works why do you And so from her perspective, she sees us doing what she believes to be good works, but we've told her um, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. And so in her mind, and she's told me, my church makes me do all these things. I have Mm -hmm. to do these things. And so when we shared with her about the biblical view of sanctification, about obeying out of gratitude, she said, wow, I've never heard anything like that. So even opportunities like that have come up. Yeah. And that's really amazing for a fruit of that relationship is that they have been able to see into your life enough to see um, that what you're talking about is what's going on in your life, that it's not forced. It's not, um, you're not doing these things to earn your salvation and you've been able to have those conversations. And so it's really amazing to hear that she could see the contrast. Yeah. And what we're not saying, okay, so I haven't read Rosaria Butterfield's book yet. I mean, it's on I my list. I have either. Yeah, but it's, it's on my list. I did listen to a couple messages and she has some pretty extreme versions of hospitality and inviting neighbors over. And some people were saying, I don't know if hospitality looks like she says it looks, you know, this extreme hospitality to strangers and whatnot. And I think it's important to say that it's going to look different for every single one of us, depending on our lives. Like Angela, your husband works from home. He's not Mm going to have coworkers to invite over like my husband does. Right. Strangers for us. And yours may be very different than ours because you have different lives, but also what you're comfortable with. You have younger children. So Mm -hmm. that's going to also play into how it looks different. In different seasons of your life, it's going to look different. And that's important because I think we live in right now a culture, especially with social media, where we really compare ourselves to other people. That person and has a nicer house and does a better job with cooking nice meals and having people over. And that's not what hospitality is about. Right. Exactly. It's about being welcoming, not necessarily giving someone a gourmet experience. Right. And and I think we do have to fight against that tendency to uh, compare ourselves to other people. The other thing is, and we started to talk about this earlier, is hospitality is not just having people over for a meal. We can show hospitality in other ways. I know something that we've done that some people might not be comfortable with, but I do believe it was a form of hospitality is we had a single mother and her daughters live with us for a few months. 
And that was a way that we showed hospitality. And she wasn't a full stranger, but she started out as a stranger to us, as a friend of a friend. And we didn't know her super well when she came in, but it was a way that we showed her love and showed her hospitality. We also had a young couple from our church stay with us for about a month. And so we've done things like that. Now, not everyone will be comfortable or have the space to have someone come and live with them for a short time. And so it's going to look different for different people, but hospitality is going to look different in different ways. It's not just having people over for, for Sunday lunch. Sure. And I, you know, here, I think this is a perfect example of how it might look different for different people, depending on um, the resources available. Um, Just like you said, um, you had a single mother live with you for a little while and someone else may not have the space. Um, So I'm a perfect example. We don't have any extra bedrooms at our house. However, um, about a year ago, we knew a single mother who was moving and she was driving through the area where we live. And this was someone that I met through Facebook. So I didn't know this person very well. And we invited her to meet us somewhere for lunch. And we bought um, lunch for her and her children and um, some extra food to take with them for the road. And I would call that hospitality, even though um, we didn't have the ability to invite her to come live with us. We did welcome her and help ease her path on the journey that she was going for moving. So you can be welcoming even if the way that you are being welcoming to a stranger is not um, sort of reorganizing their entire life. There, You can do that for a moment, for a meal, for um, some other way of meeting their needs and welcoming them in to a relationship. It, I, I think what I hear you saying is it doesn't always have to be the most extreme example. And we don't all have the resources for that. And those who do, that's amazing and wonderful. And, and step out and do that if that's um, something that you have the resources to do. But if you don't, I don't believe that that's something to feel guilty over. It does look different for, for everyone. Let's say that you're a young couple that um, maybe you have one baby and you live in a one-bedroom apartment and there's a family with five children and you're thinking, it's just not going to work at our house, then say, hey, do you want to meet us at the park? And bring sandwiches mm-hmm. and just have that time of talking and getting to know each other. You're still showing them hospitality. It, hospitality also does not have to be expensive. We'll get into some of those practical things in a little bit. Um, but that's, I think, another thing. One thing I wanted to bring up is that hospitality, like so many things, can be sacrificial. And I think sometimes we're hesitant to do things that that sacrifice. So it sacrifices our time. You know, oh, I like my Sunday afternoons to just be with my family. So now you're sacrificing that time by having someone over Mm. or you're sacrificing that your house might get messy because they have children, you know, so it may be sacrificial. Right. The the thing that I'm most often sacrificing is my nap time. (laughs) So if we have people over on a Sunday afternoon or or if we are preparing to have a dinner, um, I, that's the time that I'm going to use to prepare. And just like you said, I mean, we sacrifice to um, extend hospitality to others um, so that we can pull them in. 
Another thing is, and this is sometimes difficult for me, especially when we're talking about people at church, is that when you're hospitable and showing hospitality to people, you're practicing hospitality, don't do it with the idea that it's because you expect other people to do the same for you. You mm. need to do it purely out of love and and service and obedience to God. Right. Um, yeah. Not looking for that, what can I get out of it, but rather loving without expecting something in return. And this is a really big one. And I think this is a problem that we sometimes have is hospitality is not just about women. The verses in scripture that call us to hospitality are not just aimed at women. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It, it Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, and I want to say, I know, um, some couples at my church who are amazing at this. It, it is really, um, beautiful to see it in action when a husband and wife are working together to be hospitable. I'm thinking of one couple that the husband makes sure and puts on the music. He does some barbecue. She does some, um, other cooking. Um, he has cigars ready for guys if they want them, just all kinds of things. It's, it's very, it's just wonderful to be invited into a family where everyone is participating in being hospitable. Yeah, my husband is just very, very good at doing that. And the two of us together, especially through the years, have really kind of come up with a rhythm where we both work together to be welcoming and having people in our home, if that's how we're um, showing hospitality. And and I love that he really does such a great job of um, of being hospitable also. Let's, let's talk about some practical tips. Uh, well, I did want to actually, one of the things I had written down, but we kind of touched on it earlier, but that is that churches should work together to be hospitable. And I love, Angela, what you were saying about your church working towards that. And I hope more churches will do that because I think we live in a time where people have told me I've never been over to anybody's house at my church. Yeah. And that's kind of sad. Yeah. Especially considering that lots of people in this day and age don't live very close to their church. We live five minutes from our church. Um, but not everyone at our church is that close. And I know that lots of the um, people that we meet through Theology Gals will say, you know, that they drive a half hour. Some some drive a lot longer than that to get to church. So when you're far away, um, it can be difficult to build those relationships and be, be um, a part of the church family. Um, and so hospitality is a big way to cultivate that um, when we're more and more spread out these days. Let me say, say something. So in uh, hospitality looks very different for us right now than it did several years ago. It's, it's very hard for me to do what I used to do because of my health problems right now. And so a lot of times the hospitality we're showing is to my son's friends. We've had, uh, we've actually had a couple of my son, Jonathan's friends even live with us for a time. And so a lot of times that's who we're showing hospitality to right now, just because it's difficult for me to do a lot and not knowing how I'm going to feel on any given day. But when we lived 30 minutes from church, we were, we had people over to our house on an average of twice um, a month and people came 
And so I think maybe sometimes people are afraid that people aren't going to come. But if you live especially far from church, meeting at a park near church, you know, bringing sandwiches mm-hmm. on Sunday afternoon is an option. Absolutely. So let's just talk about some practical tips because I know that was when I asked in the group, that is what people really wanted to know. Um, some people are afraid. I, I heard a lot of, but what if my house is too small or I don't know how to cook and some things like that. My first tip would be to start small. Um, you know, I, I had to kind of learn when I first got married, I had to figure out some of these things and I did not start off doing as good a job as I learned to do. And so right. maybe maybe you invite a couple for dessert on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. And there, I'll say I completely agree with this idea of starting small because what's going to happen is um, you start small and do something that's easy and doable that you feel confident that you already have the skills to do. And you work on building from that. And what will happen is you build sort of a toolbox of skills that you know how to do, that you can churn out and that are no problem, easy peasy for you to do. And you've, you've built habits and um, it becomes just a part of your life to do this and practice hospitality. So if you start small, it will grow from there. You will learn and you'll um, experience growth in your skills. And another one I would say is learning to plan well. Uh, when, when I was having people over on Sunday after church often, which I know a lot of people are overwhelmed by that, but let me say, I was doing that when I had a newborn, a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and a six-year-old. I was, and I talked a little bit about how I did that on the Sabbath episode, but I I learned to be able to do that. I found a rhythm that worked. Um, but I usually on Wednesday, I was writing out my meal plan mm-hmm. for Sunday. And that included which things I could make on Saturday because yep. I made as much as I could and or planned as much as I could so that Sunday morning I was just throwing something in the oven or the crock pot. And it was a matter of just throwing thing, just cooking the things. Everything was put together. The salad, you know, the vegetables were all cut up and the dessert was made. So planning, I think, is really uh, a good thing. Is there ways that you plan, Angela, when you're having people over? Yes, absolutely. It's so funny that you asked because I was just um, talking to a friend about this um, this week about how I do party planning. And yeah, yes, I was talking about party planning, but it certainly um, applies here to the hospitality. Um, exactly the sort of thing that you're talking about. I will plan ahead what my menu is going to be. And, you know, if I've asked other people to bring things, I will still put those on the list and I will um, list who is bringing what. But then um, also every task that I have to complete, I will put a day next to that. And what day am I going to do it? And if I have a lot of tasks for a period of time, I'll even tell myself what time. I give myself a schedule. Um, I'll have a grocery list on the same page. Um, you know, it just depends on what kind of hospitality I'm practicing, but basically my task list will be written down and I will have a plan that I can refer to and look at if I get, I'm a person who gets overwhelmed. So it helps me to have these things written down so that when I feel overwhelmed, I can look at it and I can see, okay, this is all I have left to do. and. You know, going back to starting small, 
Um, this is this is a great example of something that I have built up to. You know, the first time that I ever had someone over to my house for cake and ice cream, I did not have a plan <laughs> written down. But as I grew in skills, I started realizing, okay, um, I'm doing enough here that I could easily forget something. And so I would write my plans down and it just keeps me on track and keeps me from getting worried that I'm forgetting. Um, another thing that I would say though about planning also is to think think um, intentionally about who you are inviting. And, you know, I, I mean that sort of about what we said earlier. Don't just call your three best friends and say, hey, you want to come over on Friday. Think through who is at church who's new or if it's your neighbors or someone that you just met um, at the park. Think through who needs to be invited, who is looking for being included thinks especially about, are there singles in my church who need to be included? Are there any single moms? Are there any uh, career people or widows? Um, Just all different demographics. Don't just make it. And I'm speaking to myself here as well, because I'm in a phase of life where I have two young kids. And the easiest thing for me to do is invite three other families who also have young kids. And it, it will just gel and go smoothly. But Think intentionally about inviting people who are not necessarily your demographic and build relationships with them as well. The other thing I would say in regards to planning is do what works for you. I I am a planner by nature. That's just me. <laughs> me too. Um, my, my husband actually calls me the planner. <laughs> from the time that uh, we were early in marriage, like if he had the day off, I'd say, so what's the plan today? I need to know the plan, <laughs> like mm-hmm, tell me mm-hmm. the plan for the day. And so I have a friend and she's actually gone to be with the Lord now, but she loved having people over like more than anyone I know, but they had very little money and she just couldn't prepare a meal for as large of a group that she wanted to have. And so always she did a potluck. That is how she did. She'd call us and say, do you want to come over? And can you bring a side dish and a dessert? And so we would come over. And so if you're somebody who has maybe not a lot of money and maybe it's, you're just not in a place to plan a big meal for several families then do a potluck at your house. You're mm-hmm. still being hospitable. You're still having people over and you're just doing a potluck or everyone, we're going to do a barbecue and it's bring, bring your own meat. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And so find, find what works for you and this, and wherever you're at in your life right now. One thing I did, I actually, I still have it and I've probably had it Eh, maybe even 15 years, I got a three ring binder and it was my hospitality planning uh, three ring binder. And I put the meals that I liked to make uh, when we had people over. And I really got to the place that I made, generally speaking, the same five things. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you know what? And but people actually would say to me, I love coming to your house for dinner, Colleen, because you always make comfort food. You know, I would yeah. make, 
pot roast and all of the fixings. I'd get one of those bone-in turkey breasts or a small turkey at around Thanksgiving. They have they would have uh, small turkeys for five dollars, and I'd get a few of them. So I'd make a a small turkey and all the fixings, or a spiral honey ham. And so I'd buy these things when they were on sale, and then they would feed a large group. And you know, so. I would make it easy on myself. And so I wasn't like, okay, I'm going to make, you know, my my special manicotti that's going to take me all day to make. I didn't necessarily need to do that. Although sometimes I would. Mm-hmm. I'd make lasagna or manicotti. I'd um, fix it all up on Saturday if I had the time. But I try most of the time though, especially on a Sunday afternoon when I knew we could have 15 people over, is I would, I really learned what, what worked well, what would feed a large group and would be easy uh, for me to do. And Mm -hmm. so in my notebook was all of these easy meals that I made. And so having an ongoing list, so if you're all of a sudden going to have some people over for lunch, you go and you look in that notebook and say, okay, I'm going to just make a big pot of... um, like I, one of the things I've made before last minute is I have this Mexican meatball soup and I'm just going to make a big pot of this, or I'm just going to make a big pot of spaghetti. And if you don't have a lot of money, guess what? Don't even put meat in it. Mm-hmm. Get some tomato sauce, make a easy sauce from scratch, get some pasta, make a quick salad and um, maybe some garlic bread. And it's an inexpensive meal and you can make a bunch of it for cheap and easy. And so even having, having what works for you, what works for your budget, what works for the time that you have. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting. I think, um, probably some of our favorites are very similar to some of your favorites, Colleen. I, I do the same as you. I have sort of my five, uh, greatest hits that are my (laughs) hospitality entertaining meals. We do. Um, I also do pot roast. Um, it's easy. It's delicious and you can catch it on sale. And when I do, I fill my freezer with them. Um, Another thing, though, I mean, that is just very basic, but it gets the job done. Sandwiches. Um, Just do like a sandwich bar. And um, that can be very inexpensive and easy. And this this is going back to the goal of hospitality. Again, it's not to have a gourmet experience. It's to build relationships. And when it's around a meal, the important thing is that people are fed the food was there. It's not important that it be Martha Stewart and the most perfect meal that ever happened. Now, if you want to do that sometimes, I'm saying this as a person who does love to do that sometimes. That's great. But I'm also saying that for people who don't feel like Martha Stewart, that's fine. That's not what the goal is here. The goal is to invite people in and build a relationship and you know, mealtime is just a time that that naturally happens. So, you know, get cold cuts and sliced cheese and a couple different kinds of bread, a couple different mustards and mayonnaise and call it a sandwich bar and you're done. Um, If that's your speed, that totally works. Yeah, actually, I know somebody who's done that. And that is our other Theology Gals host, Ashley. And I would, I would say too, I have one friend and what she is known for is making a big pot of soup. That's what she does, <laughs> you know? She we have big taco soup. soup at our house. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, remember that the, that the food is not the primary central focus of hospitality. It is, it's the fellowship. It is the conversation. It is um, loving your neighbor that mm-hmm. is central to hospitality. 
Um, let me say that um, if you don't have children, and before we had children, I had a little toy box, and I I bought those toys at garage sales and the thrift shop. I did not spend much money at all. In fact, most of them came from garage sales for 25 cents for this. I got some toys from garage sales. I washed them. I had a small toy box. I had a few kids' movies. Back then, we used a VCR. And so I was prepared. I bought a few sippy cups to keep in there and a little, like, booster seat so that a little kid could sit at the table. And so even if you don't have children there, you can uh, prepare for different kinds of people that you might have in your home. I, I also had a couple bibs and some things like that. I think that's a great idea. Um, I, you know, we've all had, um, those of us who have small children know what it feels like to go to an environment where um, it's just uncomfortable because you're worried that your children are maybe a little less welcome in the environment. And so I do think that that's important to think about um, when people have small children, how do you make them feel comfortable? And also if you need to maintain some boundaries, um, this is a tip that I have about having people over who do have small children is um, if you are a person who wants to maintain some boundaries in that situation, what I do when friends with small children come over is that I try to announce at the beginning of the get together. Um, this is where I'd like everyone to stay. Children are welcome to play in the basement or here in the living room. We're not going to go upstairs today. Just make your expectations clear. And usually that will set the tone um, for mom and dad to keep an eye and stay involved. And then, you know, some people um, are just comfortable saying, Hey, my house is your house. Go wherever you'd like. Make yourself comfortable and um, don't worry about anything uh, getting broken or whatever. And if that's your style, that's also great. But if it's not your style, just set up expectations by just communicating and being clear. And usually that will help things work out. Yeah, what we actually ran into something when my kids were young is that when kids that they didn't know would come over and we would let them go and play in the kids' rooms as they would mess the kids' rooms up. And I have a couple of kids that are just neat freaks and they would just be so upset. And they even had a couple instances where toys got broken. And so mm -hmm. we had to establish boundaries like that, that we're not going to go upstairs, that, that the kids can right. play. We have a, a garden level basement. And so it's only like seven steps down from my kitchen. So I can actually see into the basement from the, uh, where I'm standing at the stove. And so we just said the kids can play on the main level or they can play on the basement where we have toys. And I think setting up boundaries can be very wise, even just so that you're keeping an eye on the kids. Because there was a gal in our group that said, I don't know what to do because uh, people come over to our house and parents don't watch their children. And so mm, yeah. sometimes you have to set up the boundaries. But I will tell you this, too, in regards to situations like that. I have had situations where parents come over and they don't watch their children. They're, they're busy talking and stuff. And, and there's been instances where I've decided as much as I want to be in talking with the adults, I'm going to watch the kids because obviously these parents need some conversation time without their kids. Mm. So I'm going to serve and be hospitable in that way and allow them to have that time. Colleen, you are invited to my house anytime. 
um, you know, I will say too about parents not watching their kids. Um, you know, if you have, uh, if you're going to make that quick little announcement at the beginning of the get together, I would still, I would also just throw in just before the time even starts, you know, parents help us by watching kids and, and making, reminding them to stay downstairs or whatever. Uh, just that really small little prompt to help that happen. The other thing I would say is don't be afraid to gently, not discipline, but reprimand children. Ah, yes. You know, to say, um, kids, we're not going to go upstairs. That's the rule for our house. To remind those children, if, if you have parents that are very permissive and not watching their children, allowing their children to have free reign of the house, remind the children what your house rules are. That is okay to do. Absolutely. I I was just thinking something very similar. Um, And I will say this about myself. This happened to me, to my child when we were visiting someone else's house. And so um, we we went to someone's house for dinner and it was um, a wonderful time getting to know um, this family from our church. And my son was intent on going upstairs into their house. And the boundary had already been set that children are not going upstairs. And their staircase is right next to their um, dinner table. And so the adults were still sitting at the dinner table. And my son multiple times tried to sneak up the stairs. And I could see him. He was in direct eye shot of me. And I would call out and say, son, you need to come back down the stairs. We are not going upstairs tonight. And he did it a couple of different times. And then um, on the third time, the dad of the household stood up and walked over to the staircase and looked straight into his face and very gently said, please come downstairs. We're not going upstairs tonight. And you need to obey your mother. I heard her ask you not to go upstairs. And let me tell you how loved that made me feel. Um, And part of the covenant community that other parents at my church are helping reinforce my instruction to my son. I know probably that there are, are a lot of people who would not appreciate that happening, but I, I'll, I just want to encourage if you are part of a covenant community and someone is gently helping you reinforce your parenting and teaching of your children, take that as an opportunity to feel loved by them. I, I really did feel loved um, by that dad um, stepping in and helping. Well, especially in Presbyterian and Reformed churches, when you think about our children being baptized and those mm-hmm. vows in regards to our children in baptism. Exactly. And, okay, so this was probably the most common thing people said, and that is, what if I'm an introvert? Now, let me just start by saying this might surprise everyone. Both Angela and I are introverts. <laughs> we are. We are. <laughs> and and we're talking about how much we enjoy having people over. So an introvert probably is, you know, introverts can differ from, from each other quite a bit. But I think we have to go back to the fact that this is a command. There mm-hmm. are things that we're commanded to in scripture that might be easier for you than they are for me and things that are easier for me than they are for you. Yeah. And there are things that we do that maybe isn't our favorite, but it is something we're commanded to do. But be realistic because yeah. um, some people were saying they burn themselves out by having people over several times a week. That is probably too much for anybody. You know, my I, we were having people over usually 
three times a month, you know, maybe a Friday or Saturday night and two Sundays. And, but maybe you're somebody that really is like once a month is really all I can do. And that's okay. Maybe you have young kids and Mm -hmm. your husband works a lot. And so be realistic, but it's not really an option. You know, I'm an introvert isn't an excuse. I'm an impatient person isn't an excuse for me not to be patient. (laughs) Um, Right. Right. And introversion isn't an affliction, you know, it's not a sickness that (laughs) gets us out of life. Um, It's just a a thing that means that I recharge by being alone. So make sure that you take care of that and get yourself some alone time. But, um, you know, then we're not off the hook for being hospitable. And just like you said, we're both introverts. We love to be practicing hospitality. It can be done. And in fact, you know, something I will add to that is, Use your strengths as an introvert to help you here. Create an environment that's calming. Use that inner dialogue to help you with your planning. There are ways that being an introvert um, gives you some strengths that can help you with hospitality. Well, one of the things, and several of the gals asked similar type things, they said things like, you know, what if my house is ugly? Or what, how do I get over thinking everything needs to be perfect? And, you know, I really hope that in the church, we don't make hospitality a contest so that we're trying to one-up each other. Like, um, oh, well, she did the most amazing meal. And now I feel like I have to live up to that. It is okay if you have a small budget and you make something that's inexpensive and your house isn't as nice as someone over there. I can tell you that when it comes to hospitality, I don't think most people mind or care. I've been to all sorts of houses and I never, I can't even like think to myself when I think of my most enjoyable times where people have practiced hospitality towards our family, I do not remember what their house looked like Mm -hmm. or even much about the meal. But what I do remember is the conversation and getting to know people. And I'll tell you that actually some of the times that I really do vividly remember one or two um, instances of being invited over to someone, someone's house, and it was just not picked up at all. And they said, as we entered, we invited you over and the house is a mess and we just wanted to see you. And now you see our real life. And to be honest, that feels amazing. Um, so that is one way I think to help get over that feeling of it has to be perfect is to think about, you know, what is my real life look like? And is there somebody that I'd like to invite into that and, and say, now you see it, this is my real life. Um, there is something actually very welcoming in that. And it's okay for everything to not be perfect because that's just not reality on a day-to-day basis. That's not how most of us live. And so um, eventually as we're building these relationships, we do want to invite others into the way that we really do live. You know, you actually just reminded me of this is early in our marriage. We'd probably been married only a couple of years and we got invited to someone's house and the house wasn't picked up. They had several little kids and, and I remember actually just feeling like I could just be calm and relax. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. even when they came over, I didn't feel like now I have to measure up to what they displayed. I felt like I could be myself. Yeah. 
with these people because they were like, this is, this is who we are. Sorry, things aren't picked up. You know, we were busy yesterday and, um, and it was a nice, it was a nice meal. So, you know, I think most people aren't going to make judgments upon you. Most of us are, have some similarities. Our house does not look like a model home 24 seven, especially when we have children. (laughs) Um, and a lot of people said, but I, I just have a limited budget. And I'll just remind a couple of things I said before, either inexpensive meals or do like my friend did, do potluck, you know, mm-hmm. have, have people bring stuff. Most of the time, people are happy to bring stuff. When I invite people over, very often they'll ask me, what can I bring? So people are fine, you know, bringing over a salad or a dessert or some rolls or something mm-hmm. like that. So that's what I would say about uh, limited budget. Now, this is a big one. A lot of people have specific ways of eating. I do usually ask people when I invite them over, um, does anyone in your family have allergies? And I, most of the time, people will say, um, oh, you know, my son's allergic to this or that. I've had a couple instances where people have given me this long list of everything that their family doesn't like. And what they mm. prefer, you know, on Sundays, we really prefer to eat blah, blah. You know, it's like, like I'm sitting here thinking <laughs> I, I cannot measure up to, to your, to your way of eating. And we actually had a, a guy in our church that um, came over quite often and he was a vegetarian and here I'm making meat and sides. And so I really just kind of, the way I thought to myself was as long as there's something that everyone can find to eat, that no one's going to go hungry. And there's times where I'd, um, I remember when this guy was over where there wasn't a lot for him to eat. And I said, Hey, do you want a peanut butter sandwich? And he's like, that's great. Yeah. 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 You, you don't have to, um, be a restaurant and create every meal that's been requested, but just making sure that needs are met. Yeah. And I think if you have somebody that has a lots of food things, doing something like Angela mentioned, like a sandwich bar is maybe a good idea in that sort of situation. You do, uh, you know, a salad and sandwich bar. And then if they're on keto, they can make themselves a keto salad. Or if they're on um, the paleo diet, you know, because I think that people run into a lot of that. Well, I'm eating keto right now, so I really need you to make me a keto meal. Mm -hmm, Um, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even in in that sort of situation, if there ends up being a lot of different requests, I have before said, hey, every family is going to bring their own meal and we're going to share the table. Um, And and that works as well. That also works for a low budget. You know, I'm going to have my meal. Everyone come over and bring your meal and we'll eat together. Um, And that works too. You know, and um, another thing that I've seen people do is say, hey, do you want to meet at the park and we'll all bring our own picnic lunches. Yes. I love to do that. So that that's uh, another one. And then um, lastly, and that is just having boundaries with hospitality. Don't overdo it. Don't wear yourself out. Don't think that you have to measure up to something and have people over three or four times a week. That's just, that's too much. So some people um, said, but what if I have a small apartment and not room for many people? You know, we uh, early in our marriage had a small apartment. Uh, We had a one bedroom apartment. And I remember the first time after we got married, we had people over and we had like three couples over 
even if you have a small space, you can still usually have a, a couple over or a couple singles over, or you can have, um, you know, a family with a couple of children. One time in our small apartment that we lived in before we bought our first house, we had a family over with five children. And you know what? It went so much better than I expected it to. So I don't think small spaces are um, necessarily as big a problem as we see them. When I had a Russian exchange student in that apartment back then, and she was from a wealthier family in Russia, and I remember her just saying, wow, your apartment is so nice and so spacious. <laughs> and I think in the United States, we have this expectation of space and size. Right. And it's, you can still do hospitality. And I'll say a couple things too about, um, you know, small spaces, small apartments. If you're very, very uncomfortable, take the show on the road, just like Colleen's mentioned, go to a park, um, meet somewhere else. Um, but also if you're concerned that it's too small for a meal, invite a few people over to play a game after mealtime or invite a few people over for just dessert. Um, that those things work as well, because remember, it's not about, um, necessarily having the most amazing meal. It's about building the relationships. And then the last thing that I'll just say is, you know, we've kind of closed by talking about maybe some roadblocks and hangups and things that make it difficult and how to work through that. My number one tip is rip off the band-aid. Just do it. Um, it I've rarely ever had a um, hospitality situation go wrong or go as bad wrong as I thought it was going to um, or turn out poorly. Even the kind the times when I've uh, had folks over and I was dreading it, everyone goes home and my husband and I say, you know what? That was fun. I'm glad we did it. I really am. And so that's my number one advice. Rip off the Band-Aid and just do it. Get started. Start small. Start somewhere and it will grow from there. Yeah, I just wanted to add to something you said because I had meant to say this. And doing a game night is a great hospitality uh, thing to do. We have often done game night on a Friday night at 7. And we say, you know, we're not having dinner. So eat dinner before you come. But everyone bring a snack food mm -hmm. and, you know, or an appetizer or something. So, you know, that's that's another another great option, maybe Sunday after church, just that isn't a great practical time for you. You have young kids that need naps and whatnot. But Friday night game night is a, is a great way to invite people over and get to know them. And games can be so much fun. You know, everyone's laughing and, and having a good time. So um, I wanted to mention just a couple of resources. Um, obviously, Rosaria Butterfield's book, which even though I haven't read it, a lot of the gals in our group really really loved it. And then there's a book by Rebecca Van Dudeward, How Should I Exercise Hospitality? And it's from a series called the Cultivating Biblical Godliness series. And I actually read it this week. It's more like a little booklet. I mean, I, I read the whole thing in one setting and it's like less than $3. I think it was on PNR, but I'm going to link it in the episode notes. A girl in our group that has a site 
about hospitality, specifically about hospitality. I'm going to link a couple of her articles, but she has something you can sign up for called 15 Gatherings You Can Plan in 15 Minutes. And so I'm going to link that also because sometimes those practical ideas can be really helpful if you're new to this. Well, we have a lot coming up in the next uh in the next uh, couple months. So I'll give you just a preview because I know sometimes people like to know, but we are going to be finally doing an episode on the means of grace coming up. That's been a highly requested episode. And then we have a lot of other uh, great episodes we're going to be doing in the next several months from the church and people with disabilities, which will include those with special needs children. We're putting all of that into one category. We have a special guest for that. Uh, We also have um, an episode on courtship. We probably won't say what you maybe think we're going to say on the episode on courtship. That'll be coming up. And we're going to be doing an episode on, on singleness. That's another one that we'll be doing and some other theological topics and Christian living topics. And just a reminder that if you ever have a topic you'd like us to do, please email us at theologygals at gmail.com. We have a running list of topics and I always add those suggestions to our list. And so if you would like to support us, there's a link on our website, theologygals.com to our Patreon page. And then pretty soon I'll have a link for one-time gifts also. I'm just still working on that. And so slowly everything's coming together with Theology Gals and the website, and we're still working through all of that. But we appreciate all of you guys. Uh, 2018 was just an amazing year for Theology Gals. We really grew a lot, and we're just really grateful to be able to do this and for all of our listeners. So we will see you next week.